Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, it's lovely to uh, see you all here this evening. I can just about see you. Um, And uh, thank you for coming and joining us. We are continuing this evening in our series in the book of Galatians. But I want to begin with uh, a little story. Um, One of the privileges of being a minister is that you get called out to various schools to uh, talk to the kids, often at kind of seasonal events. And um, a couple of years back, uh, I was invited to uh, a little prep school in in Wimbledon, uh, kids of primary school age. And... uh, yeah, it was very sweet. They had a kind of spring celebration and all the different year groups kind of stood up and sung songs about flowers blooming and all the rest of it. It was, it was wonderful. And it concluded with, um, with an explanation of the Easter, Easter story. And um, uh, we, we, they, the kids sung about it and then they, they sat down and uh, the headmistress thanked me for coming and then all the kids uh, walked out. Uh, apart from one, one child who was, he was absolutely distraught. He was really crying his eyes out. Um, and um, the headmistress sort of beckoned me over and said, uh, Reverend Adams, please, could you come over here? Um, um, this, is, uh, this is whoever it is, I can't remember what his name was. Um, and um, he's just really, really sad that Jesus has died. And what, what could you say to him? Well, I'm not going to tell you what I said. But we'll, get, we'll get to there, to the end. What, what a wonderful challenge. How could you, in really simple terms, say to someone who was about six and a half at max, who was feeling really sad about the fact that Jesus had died, which, let's be honest, is a pretty normal way of responding to the news that someone has died. But somewhere in there was good news. Well, that is going to be part of our concern uh, for today's passage in Galatians. But before we get there, I'd like you, we're going to do something slightly different. I'd like you to talk to the, the people around you, okay? And this is what I'd like you to talk, talk, talk about. I'd like you to share what your earliest memory or encounter of the cross is. Okay? If you can't think of your earliest one because you're not really sure, just think about your most memorable one. Okay? And it can be really wide-ranging. Perhaps you have a particular memory of a, a kind of physical picture of a, a cross on, on a building or something. Or perhaps you have a memory of thinking about the cross of Jesus in a particular way. Or perhaps you haven't really thought about it very much, and that's something you can share. So just find the person next to you, your earliest or most memorable encounter or thoughts about the cross. Go, you've got 60 seconds. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to just draw, draw our conversation to a close there. You can continue those discussions later on. 
And perhaps you can reflect on them in the light of what we're going to look at in, in Galatians. Or you could ask someone else. Now, they've done the thinking now. They've tried the story out once. You're going to discover all sorts of wonderful things about someone's uh, past or history. The cross is the great concern of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Those are the verses just before the ones that we've just heard read. Paul's great concern is Christ must have died for something. There must be a reason that he died. And whatever we believe about him must show that he did not die in vain. And that's what he begins to develop in this chapter 3. Paul's aim in general, speaking to the Galatians, is, look guys, I really would love you to understand how important the cross is. And he comes out uh, beautifully softened by Helen, who is uh, such a great reader and Nevertheless, quite strongly, does he not? Uh, He begins in chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, wonderful for Halloween this, who has bewitched you? He is absolutely devastated that he thinks someone has convinced these Galatian Christians that the cross doesn't really matter anymore. And as we're going to discover, that is a seriously big, big issue. Now, how... How is he going to approach this? How is he going to explain how the cross is important? Well, he's going to present them with two different ways of understanding how we get right with God. One of those ways is grace, getting right with God by grace. And another of those ways is a law, getting right with God by the law. And he's going to explain how we get right with God by grace. And that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. It's way preferable to law. But that only works if the cross happened and matters. And that's why the cross really matters. Now, why do we need to know that ourselves today? Well, I can think of a number of reasons, but two stand out for me. We live in a pluralist world. We live in a world where there are many different accounts of the meaning of life. Lots of people living for all sorts of different things. Most of those ways don't involve talking about um, a historical figure 2,000 years ago who underwent a very strange form of Roman torture or anything like it. It is a very strange story, this business of the cross. And it's hard for us to remember that as Christians sometimes because we're so familiar with it. We might reasonably ask ourselves, do we still need all of this? But alongside that, this kind of, do we still need the cross? There's, there's great riches to be discovered as Christians in the cross. And in particular, assurance stands out. If you understand the cross, you get assurance. Assurance is this confidence that you know where you're going for eternity. And the, the thing about the cross is it, it, it shows you that everything that needs to be done for you to be accepted, you and me to be accepted by God forever, has been done. And so whenever you're worried and whenever you're doubting, you can look at the cross and just go, ah, it's okay. It's okay. 
So those two reasons, I think, uh, are a great basis for, for us to really value the cross. But as I said, Paul sets, sets up his explanation. This is why you need to really, this is why the cross matters. There are two ways of approaching God, grace and law. This is the question in the background of Galatians. Again, just a little bit of context for us from, from, from the previous uh, week's passage. Galatians 2 verse 14. Paul says, um, he tells the Christians in, in Galatia, look, I saw some of you, some of you leaders, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And so I said to Peter, who was kind of one of those who was really guiding these people, I said to Peter in front of them, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Basically, Peter had started saying, Guys, you need to believe in Jesus. And then he thought about it for a while. And then he looked at his Jewish friends who believed in Jesus, but they also followed all the Jewish customs like circumcision and food laws and stuff. And he said, actually, hang on. Let me correct that. You need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to follow all the Jewish ceremonial law. And one of the outworkings of that, Peter had refused to eat with Gentile Christians. So he'd started off, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll eat with you guys. Yeah, you know, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But then after a while, he's like, hang on, we used to not do this uh, because we had to keep separate from the Gentiles. So perhaps I'm going to do that. He'd been under pressure from other Jewish Christians. Don't eat with the Gentile Christians. It's going to make you unacceptable to God. So that's all that's going on. And then he sets up, Paul, in response to this, two ways of thinking. As I said, grace and law. Chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. And so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you see the two things coming there? He's got, there's a faith and there's a works of the law way of being accepted by God. Now, Faith or grace. That's when we get right with God for free. The way we get right with God under this particular mechanism is all we do, we have faith. We just, we believe. The only thing you do is believe. You believe in, in Jesus Christ specifically. And he, he does the work for you. He forgives you. He makes you acceptable to God. The, the law way of of getting right with God is when you try to get right by following all of God's commandments. And that doesn't involve faith because you don't have to believe in someone else. You just, it involves flesh, as Paul puts it. It basically involves you and your own human effort. Um, it's like if, if we have any, any parents in here or, well, we were all children once, we will have all have done this. Imogen is kind of, she's grown out of this now because she can speak properly, but just a few, six, six months ago, she used to say this lovely thing, my do it, my do it. And, you know, you'd be helping her with, her, you'd put her shoes on. She's like, no, get out. I want to do it. That's law. That's all. God, no, no, out, out, God, my do it. I, I want to. I want to make myself acceptable to you by doing things well. It's sweet in girls uh, who are like uh, three years old. It's, it's not right for us as Christians. And Paul was pretty sure, actually, that he had already explained this to uh, the Gentiles. And so he gets a bit exasperated by this. He's like, guys, I told you about this before. Please don't tell me you've forgotten. I told you it was all by grace, but now I need to remind you. 
And he has three ways of reminding them that the way you get right with God is by grace. The first one is he says, look, it, you started by grace. That's how, you, that's how you started out. So you should continue that way. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, guys, think back. Like when you started in the Christian faith, when you suddenly had the, the Holy Spirit and your life got turned around, did that come because you were following the Jewish law? No, of course it didn't. It came the moment you put your faith in Jesus, right? Remember, that's how you started. The next thing he says to them, look, you should think about approaching God by grace, not by law, because that's how God's people have always done it. It's how it's always worked. So he talks about Abraham. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteous. Abraham was the great hero of faith, right? Whatever Abraham does, you want to do that. And Paul says, look, even like way back, Abraham, he believed and he was right with God. And that must have had a deep impact on them because they were sitting there thinking, well, no, perhaps we're getting back to the more original stuff, what with doing a bit more of that Jewish stuff. And Paul said, no, 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 think back to the first Jew. It was all about faith for him. So he said, look, you started by grace. That's why you should continue by grace. It's always worked by grace. That's why you should continue by grace. Thirdly, the law doesn't work. You should think about approaching God by grace, not by law, because the law doesn't work. And what does he mean by that? Well, verse 10, he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, here's the trouble. When you go for the law approach... You have to do absolutely everything right. You have to get every single commandment right. So if theoretically, perhaps you could approach God that way. You could approach God by saying, Look, I've done everything right. But in order to get there, you do need to do every single thing, every command. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, all your mind, soul, and strength. You've got to let, love your neighbor as yourself all the time. That's just two of the commands. It doesn't work because no one actually does all the law. None of us obey every single letter of the law, every single command in the whole of our lives. Trying to get right with God that way is just beyond our power. So the third reason why he says don't go for the law way, go for the grace way, is because it doesn't work. And then finally, he says go for the grace way because... Christ has done the law thing for you in your place already. Verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That business of the tree is talking about the cross. And here is the explanation of the cross. On the cross, Jesus was cursed. He took the curse of sin. And he took it in our place. 
Now, we who would otherwise need to suffer the curse because we sin, don't have to. Jesus has taken it in our place. Jesus did the law thing in your place. That's the fourth reason. So how are we to think about that ourselves? What are we to do with that? Well, it may be that the first thing you want to say is, John, I really do not get the relevance of this to me at all right now. You're telling me that the way to get right with God is to have faith in Jesus rather than trying to keep all the commands. Well, obviously. Obviously. I mean, imagine if, you gave, you know, if I gave you a bike and I said, this is a solar-powered bike, but you can also cycle. It's a bright, shining day with the sun out. Are you going to pedal if it could go by solar power anyway? No. no just, if the power's there anyway, you, why would you ever try to do it yourself when it's there for you for free? And we might be thinking, well, Galatians, what on earth got on with you? You had this great offer of forgiveness, and now you've gone for something else. Why on earth would you think of doing that? Well, I want to suggest a couple of reasons why we might. Paul says they got seduced. And the law has a tendency to seduce us. When you think about approaching God this way, you get a sense of control. I'm okay with God because I attended church twice today. Um, particularly if you've lost sight of God's love and you're sort of worried that perhaps he's not so pleased with you. If you think I can do certain things and that's going to get me back into God's good books, you're like, ah, oh, still, I can still have some control over my destiny. I haven't watched that terrible movie. Um, I haven't gone and bought that thing which would be contributing to some terrible cause. I've not missed a day of my early morning quiet times. I feel a bit more in control. Why else might we be attracted to the law way of thinking? The law gives us a sense of achievement. When we think about how we're doing in our relationship with God, if it's all grace, then it's all the credit's to him. But if it's law, well, I did it. You know, I'm actually, perhaps I'm doing quite well in my Christian life. That makes me feel good about myself. And thirdly, this is what Paul goes on to talk about. It presents us with a smaller, harsher, but more containable God. Uh, Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. These guys were really into attending church on particular days of the year. And it was brilliant. Basically, you do Christmas, you do Easter, and then you're done with God. Fantastically small, but very containable God. That's actually very, very attractive, isn't it? Compare that to the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Where does that ever end? Do you see the attraction? If I can have a nice little neat God with just a couple of line items that I need to deal with, perhaps I can keep him in the corner.
But it's not just that there's an attraction in the law that we need to watch out for, although we do need to watch out for ourselves. The great solution for avoiding the law is just to see how good grace is. What is so good about grace? Well, we could go on all evening, but here are a couple of things. Number one, grace is just the most amazing leveler. The ground is even, as has often been said, at the foot of the cross. Do you get the idea? The ground is even at the foot of the cross. So every single one of us who comes to the cross, we have just as much claim on Christ's love as anyone else. The greatest saint who comes to the cross comes there and finds forgiveness because of Jesus' death. The, the worst saint, the one who struggles throughout their life, who just ekes in on the, by the cross, is forgiven by the wonderful death of the Lord Jesus. The cross, all of us stand on a level playing field. And you know, potentially that's why the cross is just the most marvellous thing for community. A church that is built on the cross, that is built around the cross, is a church full of people who are like, do you know what, you and I, we are coming on exactly the same terms to the Lord Jesus. I have no more claim than you and you have no more claim than I do on his favour. We all stand together, level. And of course, that's great for all the kind of cultural divisions and all the other divisions that we have. In our, uh, uh, in our human societies because again every single one of us whatever our background we come to the cross on a level playing field the second little thought that I'd love to leave with you about what's wonderful about the cross is how it makes up for our weaknesses do you know those days when, when you just you have those days where you just think I am a terrible Christian I'm just I'm just completely blown it perhaps you, you know, flown off the handle at someone you really love who really didn't deserve it or you've, you've just you've completely ignored God and haven't thought about him for, for days and days on end or whatever you just feel terrible and you just think oh why do I bother and then you remember it's not about your performance you have as much claim on the favour of God today as you had on any other day because of the cross the cross makes up for every single one of our weaknesses. Keeping up morally is exhausting. The wonderful thing is, Christians, we don't have to. The Lord Jesus has done it all for us. So let me say to you this evening, perhaps you had that kind of a week where it just hasn't, frankly, gone that, that well. And you're feeling a bit discouraged in your Christian life right now. And you think, oh, what am I doing? Keep thinking about the cross. It's all achieved for you. You cannot be brought any closer to the Lord than you already are because he has dealt with all your sin. He's wiped it all away. The Lord Jesus has taken your curse and you are his child. But of course there is one more thing I think that is worth bearing in mind here, which is that the cross is a great challenge to us. If we're saved by grace and not by law, there's no other way of approaching God. The cross of the Lord Jesus is the only way anyone gets right with God. So no amount of sincere living by anyone will get them right with God. The point is not, are you a good person? There are good and not so good people. No one, by keeping the law, 
makes themselves right with God, everyone needs the cross of Jesus Christ. And so each one of us, and you know, I need to remind myself of this again and again, we've been called to share that, and we need to share it for the salvation of all who exist. So we began with a thought about the cross. We thought about our first or memorable encounter. We've seen Paul's encounter with the cross and how deeply he values it. We've seen how it teaches us that the way we approach God is by grace through faith, not by law. And I guess the deepest application I'd love to leave with you is that we need to keep near to the cross. And perhaps I can leave you with some words from Fanny Crosby. She wrote this hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all. A healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this evening. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for each one of us. Lord, you know the times when we might forget it, the times when we, we might struggle to believe that it really works for us. We pray this evening that for each one of us, you would give us new eyes to see the cross that we would have a new sense of assurance about it. That we would know that it was not for nothing, but for something, for our lives, our eternity, and the one of everyone who trusts in you. So, Lord, keep us near the cross. And may it too be for us our most treasured possession, the faith that we have in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.